we start this memorable episode, I want everybody to stick around until the very end. I know you're largely here for Hank, and I get that. But I'm just going to tell you a little Ingold Radio story, a little behind-the-curtain uh, tale about Ingold Radio, the podcast. It's a presentation of the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Welcome in to the King Henrik episode that we've all been waiting for. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingold Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. And we, we get a little fanny today. We, we go, we go fanboys uh, today with Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, Hutch, uh, before we get into Woody, who had the conversation, it's, it's a pretty cool discussion between two goalie geeks. It's a fantastic discussion between two goalie geeks. As I was telling you before, I sort of felt like I was listening to a couple of minor hockey goalies talking about their gear. And I, and I know there's a lot of NHL goaltenders who care about their gear but just the way they talked and how excited they were. And you could just hear in his voice every time Kevin talked about the Lundquist loop, he sort of nervously giggled and, and you could tell he's super proud of it at the same time that his name is going to be there forever. Like it just felt like so many of the minor hockey goalies I've met, what they might be like once they get to the NHL, if they still have all these resources and all these ways of thinking about the cool things they can do with their gear. And we know Woody's the biggest fanboy in the world for Lundy, too, uh, as we look at his jersey on, on Woody's wall behind him, too. So I'm, I'm glad that came through, because I'm going to be honest with you, um, we didn't, weren't able to connect by Zoom, so he called in. So he couldn't see the fanboy stuff behind me, and I couldn't see his reaction when I started geeking out on the gear. So I was worried I'd gotten a little annoying on that. So I, I'm glad that you guys heard that in his voice that he was happy to talk about, because here I am hammering. I've like, got the, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, greatest Ranger of all time, like legend. And yes, I'm fanboying a little bit. And I'm asking him about the loop on the back of his skates and, you know, changing his equipment. And and, and he was awesome. But I was I was a little worried that I was pushing too hard on some of the weird, weirder notes of his career yeah one of the things that i think uh, draws you into uh these conversations with these goaltenders is is what he quite honestly you ask questions they've never been asked before because of uh, the platform that you're on an in goal magazine and in goal radio the podcast uh, that you're able to go in depth uh, and go to areas that that they've never traveled I think that's why Ingle has worked and the relationships have been built. And it goes back to my days uh, starting with Goalie News, um, the the short-lived magazine that Ink Clark's company used to run. And honestly, asking questions that you're right, they'd never, they weren't getting asked. Like VH was just being invented and proper leg recovery wasn't common. And I was reading and learning about these things and asking about it. It's like, I was like every other journalist for the first five years of my career. Good goal, bad goal, that kind of stuff. Doing that job opened up this world and this language to me. And I think for a lot of them at the time, it's changed. There's more people asking those types of questions now. But at the time, nobody asked those questions. And so I was the only person in any locker room sort of speaking their language. And it's sometimes it opens them up. So yeah, hopefully that came across in, in this interview. It is a fine line because I can be, as we've established as the guys come to town, I can't be a little over the top and a little annoying with all those questions. But um, yeah, for the most part, I, I think they enjoy talking about the position because most of these guys love the position and Henrik for sure loves the position. 
It's coming up. Our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Uh, but first, the gear segment uh, as we head over to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Surrey. Uh, last week, we did the, the Vaughn SLR3 Chesty, which is interesting because you have a great story regarding the Vaughn Chesty. Uh, this week is the SLR3 Pants. Uh, before we get into the gear segment, uh, Hutch, Woody, I want your f- number one thought that comes to mind when it comes to Henrik Lundqvist, whether it's a save, whether it's a win, uh, a moment, or uh, go on down the list. Uh, just what what pops in your head when you think about Henrik Lundqvist? Hutch. For me, it's just the way he played the game at his size because we hear kids told as they grow up through the position get out of the net get out of the net get out of the net and here's a guy that found a way to play the game i would say different than just about anybody else at a size that you wouldn't think he could i mean look it's okay if a guy who's six foot seven decides he's going to stand on the goal line because it lets him be more mobile and get around the crease more quickly because he's got the size to fill the net, but Lundqvist didn't. And so that state of mind, that confidence that I'm going to do it my own way. Ooh, that sounds like a bit of a New York, New York thing, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, That's what really stood out to me. And I think it's such an important trait uh, to have that confidence in yourself, that belief in yourself that you can do it your way. Uh, Just love that about him. Mine was uh, just the, his passion for the position, whether it's the gear, whether it's style, uh, the way he approached the game. He just loved being a goalie and he, he put it all together. And uh, I was uh, I always uh, admired him for just he's just a pure goalie. He's not he's not like the geek out goalie. He's but behind the scenes, uh, he was just that kid that you talked about in minor hockey, Woody. Yeah, to me, it's it's not just moments. Although I think honestly, like some like the the run to the Cup final was a massive one for me. Uh, the intensity, his results in Game Seven, and he talks about this that relaxed intensity, yeah, finding that balance between being on the edge and so passionate and so intense without losing yourself in it. And so he talks about that in the interview. That's watching that in some of the biggest stages is success in Game Sevens being tied to that. Uh, the Turin Olympics, and then honestly, 2014 in Sochi. Like people forget, like that gold medal game against Canada. I think was a one nothing game, and Henrik almost stole it for the Swedes. Um, those are some of the best moments. But to be honest with you, the biggest two are probably behind the scenes. First of all, getting a chance to watch him practice. I will never forget, and I've told the story before. Them coming in, optional skate uh, on the road. Me going to the rink, expecting to watch Alexander Georgiev. This is late in the career. Um, and there's six or seven Rangers skating, and Lundqvist is the first one on the ice and the last one to leave it, breakaways till the end. And some of the highlight reel saves, and we've published them, actually. I put them on social media, and I've I've talked about this as a lesson for young goalies. And, And again, he talks about it today, like the intensity he brought to every practice, the intention he brought to every practice at that stage in his career when every other guy his age with his experience is taking that optional off, he is first on, last off, and he competed on every freaking puck. It was Im- so impressive to watch. And it made me just sort of like, it made the legend grow bigger. And the other one, as you mentioned, we asked, we've talked, told this story before too, and I was hesitant to tell it again, but we'll tie it into the gear segment because we did the Von Chess Protector last week and we're doing the pants this week. 
Um, he was a Bauer guy, but he did wear Von Chesties for, for I think, all or most of his career. He may have switched late into something else. But he came into town one year, and I can't remember the year, but he was wearing an old V3, and you could see that him and Cass, uh, Marquez Acasio, um, his, the, the equipment trainer who played such a big part of his career, and we'll get into that in the interview, had, I mean, they had, there's an element of Frankenstein to this thing. Um, they had added pieces here and modified things there, but he was getting beat up. Like you, you could see it in his arms and, and like there were, there were visible bruises as I'm talking to him. And you could tell he's kind of like, you know, as he's taking it off, there's a little wince there. And um, I had just gotten the new Von V6, which is the first time they'd added uh, carbon fire carbon fiber into sort of built it into some of the arm pieces and some of the protection levels. And we were testing it for a review, but it wasn't public yet. Like it wasn't out yet. And he hadn't seen it because he wasn't a Vaughn guy. And so in our conversation, I was like, you know, like, I think I might have something in my garage that would help with what you're experiencing here. Would you be interested? And oh yeah, for sure. And so I went home in the afternoon and grabbed it and brought it back. And here I am, all the media goes down post game to the, to the locker room. And I walk into the Rangers locker room with a chest protector. And he does his interviews and then we go into the stick room in the back and, and Cass comes in and I had to go get Elaine Vigneault, the coach at the time in the hallway, do my job, get my interview. And so I left the chest protector with them and I came back in and he's got it on and they're going over and they're pointing at parts and talking about things. And, and they're like, okay, they really appreciate this. And they hand it back to me because I like, not mine to give away. So I uh, found out the next morning they ordered three of them. So just wow, like that passion for the position and the willingness. He's Henrik freaking Lundqvist. The willingness yeah. to sort of check out something new and try something new based on a suggestion of like some, you know, some media guy that's like, hey, like you look like, I think there's new layers of protection in this new unit that you haven't seen that might help you. Like to me, that just, again, we talk about the guys who are no stone unturned. Henrik Lundqvist epitomized no stone unturned. He just wanted to be the best and he would try anything to get there. So unanimous that all of us listening to that story are, are trying to imagine what that would be like sitting uh, in the stick room watching and conversing and going back and forth with Henrik Lundqvist over a piece of equipment and just being in his world, but it being a goal. You're not talking to the legend. You're talking to just a guy who loves the position that this the same as you how how cool that would be well and and and, and to to be perfectly like transparency i wasn't a mat once i handed it over to those two i was just the fly on the wall that was them going back and forth i wasn't having a big part of the i did the introductions of the piece and, that, and then i and then i got out of there so but that's the thing like as big a star as he was like he answered emails from us every, you know, like I tried not to be too annoying, but I would send emails every once in a while with a question, you know, relating to some, you know, whether it was a change in equipment or some big moment and he would answer and taking us into the stick room on a visit in Vancouver when I knew he had other things he had to do after practice, but pulling us into the stick room to show us the unique paddle grip and how he ran his fingers over it and why he felt it, you know, gave him a, you know, a good blocker position for saves because he had that squared off top um shoulder on, on on the stick so you know just that like that willingness to talk about all those different elements of the position even when like i said uh, i could get a little annoying with all the questions yeah he always seemed to have time for it so i always appreciated that passion and that willingness to share that time no matter how big a star he became so hutch i just think you're at the hockey shop uh, uh standing there with cam trying on chesties and that's basically what what hank did with cass and and Woody, like it's the same type of uh, 
setup. It's just one's a legend. And well, I'm not saying Cam's not a legend, but it's you're you're doing the exact same thing. That's yeah, the mobile hockey shop. The only thing is Woody wasn't walking around the uh Rangers room <laughs> putting on gear, throwing it down on the floor, hoping the Cam's running around <laughs> behind him picking it up. Isn't it he just wanted like, to. It's just the perfect image, though, you know, because Woody, every interview just apologizes to these guys who have retired and sorry for all the years of driving you crazy. But now you picture him just walking into the Rangers room, holding a chesty. Hey, hey, check this out. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely uh, one of the more unique. Uh, yeah. One of the more unique uh, post game visits uh, of my career. And probably like, like, I don't think that happens, you know, like there aren't a lot of reporters walking in with chest protectors after. No. Game, so. Was it on a hanger or are you just lugging it around? I think I was just lugging it around. Maybe it was, <laughs> I don't even remember. I just kind of <laughs> drawn up. Like I can think of, like, they, it's funny because like earlier in my career, for sure, I would have been, I would have been like afraid to do something like that. Right. Like just, it's, yeah. it is a little odd, but it worked and it was yeah, for good reason. Cause it's a little odd. I'm a little odd. What can I say? That's that's why that's why we're goalies. That's why we love you. So, Chesty, last week uh, the SLR three pants. This week, as you uh, tie them in, yeah. And there's a there's a pro feature on this one too, guys. Uh, we talked about like the SLR three Chesty. Was there's a lot of changes in that one from previous models. Same goes for the pants. And the biggest one is quite visible. Uh, double layer of protection over the hips that we'll talk to Cam about. This is a feature that used to get ordered a lot by pros. And now it's stock and available at retail on the SLR3. Let's have Cam fill us in on the rest. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. Last week, we showed you the new SLR3 Pro Carbon Chest Protector. Today, we've got the pants. And much like the chest protector we showed you last week, Cam, Big changes for Vaughn in this model and changes for the better. Yes. Walk me through the ones that jump out first before I start firing questions at you. As much as I'd love your questions. So hopefully I can cover some of them here. So uh, Vaughn has always had, you know, or two, sometimes even three lines of pants. SLR, you know, especially in previous versions and continuing here has always been designed to be a bit more of the looser of the two fits. So a bit easier for integration with the chest um, in terms of for tucking in. Things along that nature also. Tucking, untucking, half tucking. We covered it last week when we went over the chest protector. If you haven't seen it yet, go back and check it out. Yeah, that's something I would say. Jeez. So, um, we're still continuing on with the internal belt, which we will show. One of my favorite features that they have added, though, um, is the dual thigh flaps. So, these bad boys is something commonly requested when ordering the pant custom, just to beef up that hip area. Overall, this will allow extra protection for those hips. Um, but great flexibility and mobility. It's a nice pro feature that has been integrated in the pan after being requested quite a bit. So this oh. is something that we would have seen on a lot of NHL goaltenders, something nice. they would have requested. Yep. But up until this point, not something that's been stock from Vaughn. No. Um, and now it is. Yeah, hey, there you go. Exactly. And now you know. The more you know. Continuing with that kind of thigh and hip area, Vaughn's also extended the actual hip pad of the pant itself. Again, focusing on better integration with the chest and overall fit in terms of for tucking in, um, half tucked as well, allowing for that good integration with that chest and also coming to make sure that there's no gaps in your overall protection. And again, we talked about it with the SLR3 Pro Carbon Chest Protector. It's a bit of a shorter unit, so having a bit of a higher fit on the hip in the pant makes a lot of sense. Keep going, Cam. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, you just Not love really. interrupting. Not really, but, but, but your favorite thing to do. 
Interesting new feature too as well. Uh, last year's belt, well, we shouldn't say last year, you know, further years past. So the SLR2 pant, two pull belts, one singular pull belt for its actual internal belt this year. So a little bit of an easier integration in terms of being able to tighten it up so you don't have to deal with both at the same time, as well as actually popping it in front of the laces. I found this kind of an interesting feature just in terms of how it integrates and how it fits with the actual chest itself. I do find when you pull it a little bit tighter, it does snug up the waist a bit more than some of the other internal belts that we do have on the wall. I was going to um, say, that's the one thing. Like, so on a CCM belt, because the inner belt is all internal, you can snug it up and it doesn't change the profile of the pant. It remains as loose as it ever was a barrel that would be i actually really liked this idea of having the inner belt run through the front but you can see as i snug it up because it's connected it will also it gives you a great fit inside a nice connection but it will sort of what he's trying taper, to say taper is tapers in the waist there you go tapering on, in the waist is good if you're a fashion model it was on the Not tip so of your good tongue if you're a goaltender okay so moving down to the actual thigh barrel oh, hold, hold on we should also mention the inner belt is removable. Yes. Yes, it is removable. Just like you from this video. Look at the thigh barrels. 11 inches wide, so non-NHL needle. However, very tapered fit and rounded. So it still kind of gives that a little bit of that NHL look for sure. To me, these do feel thicker than last year as well. I don't know the exact specs to say that, hey, this is a quarter inch thicker because they've added HD foam. However, to me, it feels beefed up, a little bit more protective. Again, this pant overall, to me, really feels like a beefed up unit versus the last year's model, for sure, um, in the SLR2. Another good call-out um, that Vaughn has featured in their pants um, all the way throughout their lines um, has been their actual tab for laced-in knee pads as well. Little other tab that you feel about midpoint up the actual thigh pad itself. Yes, so you can actually tie your knee pads in to the pad themselves if you want to have both integrated together. I gotta be honest with you, like, I like the, the again, it's the tapering is a visual appeal thing, and yes, NHLers have rounded, now mandated, Nine inch barrel. but I, yeah, much smaller than this, but as a guy who, if I, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I, I don't mind a little square profile in the front to sort of make sure nothing slips through those seams. But the nice thing is, is that when you actually do stand up and then seal your legs up. together... You still actually got a nice, pretty flat surface just right. with the way they've integrated those inner th uh, five hole blocks. It still ex helps to expand that out and create some great coverage for the pad overall. Especially when you have, if I don't have knee pads on underneath, if I were to have knee pads, that would sort of sit out like this. Correct. I got to say, as much as you talked about this being, you know, a much sort of beefier unit than the last one, uh, there is a lot of mobility in here. Uh, I love with the inner belt, as much as I talked about it cinching, it just feels like a unit that isn't going to require a whole bunch of break-in. No, still trays true to a bit of that gym short fit that Vaughn has always been known for. So if you would like to find out more, where can they get you? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Anything else you'd like to do in this video today, Cam? Yeah, check us out at thehockeyshop.com. His show, his show, his show. <laughs>
it's getting closer, is it not, Woody? Um, I, I would say that there are elements that accentuate each other quite well. And we've had this happen in the past, right? Like this, the, we talked about the SLR3 chest protector being a bit of a shorter unit. And so the fact that the pants have higher hips, like, yeah, they're, they, they kind of go hand in glove. Um, to, not, not to tease the Henrik Lundqvist interview too much, but hand in glove. <laughs> um, and they, they fit together very well. We've seen it with other ones, right? We saw it with the E-Flex as a shorter, E-Flex 5 as a shorter chest protector, like not a long chest protector on the torso. Um, and then th those pants with the way their inner belt works and yeah, like the, there are certain, they're designed to work together, but there's also, cause, cause each brand sort of has a longer unit, a shorter unit, like they have variations within their different models and these two do go together really well, but they would probably, you know, those pants would work with an E-Flex 5 chest protector. The one part that did jump out at me, the half tuck that we talked about last week in, in my little attempt at TikTok dancing. Um, the half tuck with these pants really does seem to work well and they accentuate each other because the half tuck allows the sort of, you're, you're tucking the middle of the belly, but the rib protection goes out and that's the one, it's not even a weakness, but it's the one area of in this pant, because the inner belt runs through the front of the pant, when you cinch it, it actually pulls the waist of the pant a little mm, tighter. Yeah. Whereas what I love about my CCM Premier pants, I cinch that belt and get that security, but the pants themselves maintain the full width of the barrel. In other words, they're, they present bigger, so I look bigger and might catch a few more pucks off of them. Um, in this case, you actually do sort of cinch in the waist of the pant when you pull the belt together, but having the ability to have the rib protection untucked makes up all that space again. And if you like the connected feel between your pant and your chest if that's something that's important to you, you sort of get the best of both worlds so as you said darren like there are elements of these two parts the slr3 pant and the slr3 chest protector that really go well together and you know just to be honest like uh there, there's some new innovations here and some new things in terms of the protection on the pants and the features we talked about with the chest protector last week that you know makes this a, an exciting combination to, probably the first time in a while to be perfectly frank that i've been excited about a Vaughn combination of pants and chest protector. Yeah, Hachi, you you jumped all over the the hip, the double hip uh, yeah. padding. Yeah. yeah, for sure. My the whole time my kid's been growing up, that's been an area that's driven me crazy. That I don't think there's sufficient padding there. I spent the last couple of years trying to find something that we could get access to that would give him the double hip protection. The first time I saw an NHL goaltender walk past in those Vaughn pants, uh, I guess jealousy would be the word um, for wanting to be able to get my hands on a pair of pants like that. So to see that those are now a, a stock retail feature for them, I, if I had to get some pants for my kid, I'd be running to the hockey shop to try and grab a pair of these and just see if they work for them. Because I, I find that that's been an area that's been woefully under, under padded and we're trying to absorb pucks, you know, into the, the middle of our body. They're bound to, to hit there a fair bit. So just, I think it's awesome that it's now available. And I imagine other, other companies will be following suit fairly quickly. On the subject of hip, is there anybody cooler than Henrik Lundqvist? No. I mean, he just owned it uh, on ice, off ice, uh, just rolling with the, the uh, upper echelon of uh, celebrities. It's just, uh, it's, it's wild. And the suits, and, and he, had, he had everything. And uh, we can't wait to bring you uh, the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, uh, Sensorina VR.
How about the, you know what, my, the, we forgot favorite moments. How about ripping off Sweet Child of Mine uh, mm. with Jimmy Fallon on Late Night on the guitar? Like, the guy can slash on the guitar. And you know what? I didn't ask him because I did ask him once during his career, and I was already, I did not ask him about that great glove hand being, you know, we've talked about, we have stories about how the neural pathways of playing the guitar actually give you a, a positive effect on a glove hand. But as, I, as I'm saying that, you know what I'm thinking, Hutch? I'm thinking sense arena. I'm thinking neural pathways. I'm thinking things that you can do off the ice that make you better off the ice, training those neural pathways and those reactions. So Henrik had the guitar. I will never be that cool and I will never be able to play the guitar, but I do have sense arena that can help me get better. You do. And that headset from Oculus gives you access to a whole world of VR stuff. So I can imagine Woody's probably looking for a VR guitar app so he can feel really cool like a rock star like Henrik Lundqvist is. But it's funny you talk about um, Henrik Lundqvist and, and Sensorina because being a little bit competitive, you know that you can get yourself ranked in each of the different drills and Sensorina tells you where you fit compared to your peers. And uh, I know it's not a game, but I am highly competitive. So I wanted to get our name up to the top of the list one time. So Maddie and I spent the better part of a day trying to crush every drill that we could. And I found in messing around there that if I tried it Lundqvist style, stood on the goal line, all those drills that required a lot of movement suddenly got a whole lot easier for me. And it was not an intentional try. Um, I was more just trying to uh, game the system so that I could get our names up and lights there pretty quick. And I found the Lundqvist way worked. And I'm all of five foot eight if I'm lucky on a good day wearing shoes. Um, but it was really a cool thing to play with. And so I just love sense arena because it gives you that opportunity to try things. Uh, you know, if you're a minor hockey goaltender, you're a beer league goaltender, you don't get access to a whole ton of ice to practice things. If you're a beer league goaltender, you get basically none because it's all games. Sense arena lets you at home, spend as much time as you want trying things and see how they affect your game. And guys playing a little bit Henrik Lundqvist style was something that really worked out for me. And this is a great time of year to take advantage of a new opportunity with Sensorino. Not so much a new, but a, a, a new promotion that they've got going. Five a day, they're giving away the headset and the controllers, everything you need to make it work. You just make an annual commitment to the software and they will send you a free headset. And like I said, that headset gives you access to Sensorino and a whole world of virtual reality apps. So it's an incredible opportunity to get involved. And right now, you know, kids, even beer leaguers are sort of making a transition in their season. Seasons are ending. Playoffs are starting. We're thinking about next season, how we're going to train this summer. Sensoring is a great opportunity to get into some of their training programs, learn how to read plays, learn how to read shots. And as Woody alluded to in the beginning there, they've got all this great suite of neurocognitive drills that allow you to develop uh, your mind, to develop your hand-eye coordination independent of the goaltending just develop those pathways so that you can become a better athlete overall sensorina thank you very much for sponsoring our feature interviews and i suggest everybody gives it a try because it's an incredible tool and i know because it's henrik lundquist that everybody is going to listen download and listen to this podcast as soon as it launches and i hope they do because the five a day offer expires March 13th, folks. So we're coming to the end of it. Don't wait too long. This thing is uh, limited time. It's been up for a week. If you haven't taken advantage of it already, make sure you check it out as soon as you hear this interview. So many places uh, that uh, are traveled on this conversation between Woody and Henrik Lundqvist, including the origin of the Lundqvist loop and 
send us a note. Let us let us know. Was it what you thought it was? Was the 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 design of that, the invention of that, uh, sort of down the same path as you anticipated, or was it something totally different? Uh, I'm curious. Uh, here is Henrik Lundqvist with Kevin Woodley on Ingle Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. The feature interview, a presentation of Sensorina VR. So excited to welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast. I guess actually excited would probably be an understatement. I, I, I don't know that I have the words. I've had the pleasure of talking to him when the New York Rangers came through town to play the Canucks <laughs> over the last 15 years of working for NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. But now we get him on the In Goal Radio podcast live in person for the first time. And I, I don't even like coming off an emotional, tear-jerking evening where your jersey is raised to the rafters. Henrik Lundqvist, what has the last couple of months and weeks been like leading up to that ceremony, going through it? And has it given you a chance to sort of look back at your career and reflect through all of that? Well, uh, first off, it was an incredible, incredible night in so many ways. You know, the Rangers... uh, put together such a nice evening for me, my family, my friends. Uh, the fans were amazing. Um, everything leading up to the night was incredible too. I had a great week with so many people and it was definitely uh, a little emotional and um, it just felt so special. Uh, so I was so happy with everything. Every little detail worked out perfectly and um when it comes to reflecting on my career, obviously I had quite some time now over the past, I'm going to say a year, really think about my career. And even though I, I didn't retire until August, uh, I've been through a lot over the last, uh, you know, 12 to 14 months. And um, of course, you you think about what you experienced and um you know, all the great moments you share with so many people, teammates and fans. And, uh, yeah, I'm just so grateful for everything. And I've been in a very good place mentally and happy. And, uh, even though it's been challenging at times with physically, uh, over the past 12 months, it's, uh, you know, I've been in a good place. So, um, yeah, just leading up to the ceremony, I, I, I just wanted to enjoy it. And, and I also said it on the ice that evening that I look forward to come back and just thank so many people you know, within the organization, the fans. And uh, it felt so amazing for me to have that moment with everyone and, and to share that night. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier, to be honest. That relationship with the fans has become so special for you and obviously for the city of New York. Have you been able to sort of put your finger on why it you became such a big part of that franchise and, and vice versa? Why this city left such an impression on you? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. It just... Of course, if, if you spend 15 years anywhere and you, you're committed to it and you try to leave everything you got, um, hopefully people appreciate that. And over time, you know, there, there's so much that made it great to play in New York. You know, I, I love the organization. I love the city. 
the energy, the the challenges. Um, you know, it's it's not easy to come in here and, and and play, but it's definitely a great challenge to take on and, and a fun one. So I really enjoyed that, and uh, I don't know. Over time, of course, you you start to. I don't know. Your first year as a rookie, you're very focused on yourself. You need to make the team first of all, and then you want to start playing games and and establish yourself. It doesn't matter what you accomplished in Europe, you know, winning a couple of championships and play for the national team. It doesn't really matter when you come here. You have to kind of start over. And so that that was my number one focus coming into the league back in '05, just to establish myself and and. Um, try to be part of that and then for every year that goes by you you feel more and more connected to the team to the organization to the city and, and you invest even more of yourself towards that um and yeah it was just uh, it was great to see how that developed over time and um i didn't see that coming you know how, how much i felt for the organization and I was just very lucky to be in one place throughout my entire career and created so many friendships and um, yeah, special moments. I want to ask you how how you got started in the position, how that relationship started. I know I, I've read that it's you know it's, it's as simple as Joel raising your hand, your your twin brother Joel, when a coach asked who wanted to be a goalie. But there must have been some. There must have been a reason he raised it. Um, what did, what did you love? Like what? What made you fall in love with the position at an early age, assuming you did? Yeah, I remember in kindergarten, so probably age five. Uh, back then, this is mid-late 80s. Uh, it was, you know, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to watch hockey on TV, but the few times we did, it was national team playing, and one of the best goalies at the time was Peter Lindmark playing for Team Sweden, and uh, I don't know. It was something about the pads, maybe, and and I also was, I was a goalie in soccer, so there was something about being that last resource and responsibility. Um, but I, I think also that the equipment was something that fascinated me. Even though back then they were brown and heavy, and it's not what they're looking today, that's for sure. But it was still something about it that intrigued me, and um. Yeah, I remember first practice. I, I, I loved it. And, and growing up, you know, we we didn't have a ton of money. So I, I made my own pads, pillows and belts. And I loved to design them in different ways and colors. And I mean, the first set of pads I got, I think I was 10 or something, but they were way too big. So I couldn't really use them. And then yeah, I had to be creative growing up with, with for street hockey. You know, there was it, we we spent so many hours on the street. Me and my brother, um, that was a huge part of our childhood. Oh well, there's a lot of tie-ins there between building your own gear then and all the ways you used to innovate the gear later in your career that I want to ask you about. But I wanted to stick in Sweden for a little bit. Um, moving up the ranks when you were younger and starting to move into you know some of the the competitive teams and into the national team focus. You know, there there's ups and downs for every goalie at a young age. When did you, as you developed over there before coming over here and meeting Benny, how did, you know, who were your first influences uh, from a coaching standpoint? We see now, I mean, kids, you talked about being a goalie at 10, like getting your pads at 10. 
we'll see kids with goalie coaches by seven or eight. When did you have your first goalie coach? How did what was the development system like over then over there at the time and and how did you fit into it and start to grow your game? Yeah, so back then it was very different in Sweden. Not a lot of teams had goalie coaches. Right. You kind of watched and learned as, as you you know, as you practice, you saw the goalies and um I had a few goalie coaches that you know that I saw maybe a couple times a year. Um went to a camp or something and they had a goalie coach. Uh, but on a consistent basis, I didn't really work with a goalie coach until I was, I'm going to say 19. Wow. Uh, before that, you know, I had a few guys here and there, you know, talking to me, but for the most part, and I remember a lot of them told me, you know, you weigh too much on the ice. You need to stand up because back then you, they taught us how to make saves with your skates, right? Those old school skate saves instead of using the pad. I, that's what I remember back in the day. Uh, and I love to be down and butterfly. I, I remember watching a lot, Dominic Hasek and Patrick Raw. Those were my first big idols, other than Peter Lindmark, who was the first guy, you know, when I started. But when I started watching the NHL back in, I'm going to say early 90s, you know, Patrick Rod, Dominic Kashik was definitely the two guys that I watched. And, you know, I remember watching Dominic Kashik first time I saw him go paddle down. I never, I didn't see that before. So I saw it on a highlight on TV. It's like, wow, that's different. And then I remember the next day in practice, I tried it. It was like, yeah, this makes sense. Paddle down from post and in and, you know, stuff like that. You try to pick up what, what you saw the big guys were doing and, and then you tried it. Um, I- and that, yeah, I, was, I think that's almost become a bit of a lost art, right? In an era with where everything is coached um, a certain way at a certain age. I mean, I gotta think that there's an element of learning on your own and developing your own game and learning to read the game and sort of surviving on your own that that probably pays off as you move into your career. No, just in terms of developing skills and and learning to sort of read and anticipate things around you. I think so. And I think it's important to realize your strength and who you are as a goalie and what type of style you want to play because everybody can, you can play different styles, right? You just need to figure out what works for you. So you don't try to do too many things that a goalie coach are telling you. And I always tell guys that I run my goalie co- or goalie school back in Sweden. I've been doing it for what, 16, 17 years now. And, you know, different coaches say, different things and you should always be open to learn and, and have an open mindset because the game is always changing. It's changed so much over the last 20 years and it's going to continue to change. So always keep an open mind to development and your own game. But in the end, it's, you got to figure out what works best for you. And, you know, you can see things happening you watch the NHL or you watch your local goalie, you know, and he's doing something, try it. But, it's not, you, you can't force things. Sometimes I feel like goalies, they don't play to their strength. They play the technique so much. Um, and I think that's a balance where you need to figure out how much do I use the technique and how much should I just, you know, play the actual game. And I remember Benny always telling me that too when I was playing. Don't play the technique, play the game. And I think that's a fine line for any goalie these days because they're so good technically. Well, I, that's a perfect segue into coming over here. I wanted to ask you about that last year with Forlunda and 
how that set you up for success coming to the NHL as a rookie for the first time the next year? I mean, with so many NHL players overseas and, and in the Swedish league because of the lockout, to have this season you did, did that just sort of provide a foundation, at least from a confidence standpoint, when you finally made the decision to come over to North America? Yeah, that year was huge for me. Uh, no question about it. I remember I was, I was going to go 04, 05. But then um, there were talks about a lockout. I waited and waited. And then I decided, no, I don't want to, you know, go over to North America and, and there's no season. So I stayed in Sweden one more year. And like you said, we probably had 10, 11 NHL goalies in the league. So I had a great opportunity to measure myself against these guys. And I had at that point probably my best season of my career and won the championship. And, it's just mentally knowing that I could compete against, you know, at the time, the best NHL goalies, Kiprasov and Theodore. And, um, yeah, there was a bunch of guys there that I knew I could compete against these guys. So making the move that summer and coming to training camp, mentally, I, I knew I could do it. The big question for me was, can I adapt to the new style? You know, it's quicker and a little more physical and, and shooters obviously better. Um, but it definitely helped to have that year preparing and knowing that, you know, I, I can compete against these guys. Well, one of the other things you had to adapt to was a new voice in Benoit Lair, um, who you've already mm-hmm. mentioned. I'll never forget the quote that Benny gave me. And I'm not, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it was a couple of years into your career and just chatting as you guys were coming through town once. And he just, he talked about, he knew right away that you were going to be great. And he compared you to Tiger Woods' ability to change his swing. And he said it was your ability to adapt to anything so fast that in his mind, that's what made greatness. And he saw that in you right away. What was that process like, especially when, you know, the adaptation you were being asked to make that first year was pretty significant? Um, Playing in Sweden, probably a little more outside in. And now all of a sudden, you know more deep playing deeper inside out mentality like that's not an easy uh switch to flip and you seem to do it so effortlessly well it comes down to two things i think uh trust and then result like i i listened to benny and i trusted him from his experience and and it was not only playing deep is my entire stance changed right. I, I was very low and aggressive uh, coming from Sweden. And when I started playing deep here, it worked a lot of being more upright and be, it made me way more patient. And it was easier to read the game and, and to, I was just more relaxed when I was playing. The more I, I crunched down, the more I competed sometimes, less patient I got. So there were so many good things that started to happen when I was more upright and more patient and, yeah, everything started falling into place. Um, but it started with just trusting Benny and we worked on it. And I remember the first camp, you know, <laughs> the big thing is how, how quickly, you know, after a shot, the second play, they're right there. They're always close to the net. So being too aggressive, it was just hard to, to be in the right place for the second and third play. Uh, so that's something we worked on and, and I could feel, you know, pretty fast that it it was helping me. And I think over time too, I changed even more 
you know, with the stance and how I was playing. But that first year was definitely a time of adapting to, to so many things. And it, I mean, was it hard? I mean, you're facing NHL shooters, I guess not for the first time, because like you said, the, over in the lockout, they were, there was a lot of them in Sweden and you've been playing against elite shooters over there. But here we are coming to, you know, face the best in the world. And, and now you want me to play further back? Like that's, there's gotta be, <laughs> I, I remember having this conversation with Marc-Andre Fleury when they kind of finally reined in his game and, you know, practice with Sid and Gino and, and the Penguins greats. And he's like, that was the hardest part of becoming more conservative with my positioning was trusting it when they had all these great players in practice that could, you know, what practice is like time and space and pick corners, yeah. right? It's tough. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and that's the key not to, yeah, you, you're going to give up a few goals because you're, you stay deep uh, and not to overreact to that or, or because in the end I'm going to save so many more because I'm in the right position for so many other plays and I have more time to read and react. But yeah, if you can always say, oh, I should have been more aggressive here. And then you start to be a little inconsistent. Sometimes you challenge, sometimes you stay deep. And I felt like for, for the most part, I was able to, you know, stay pretty, uh, they say, no, I was convinced that it was working, even though there was definitely goals where I knew I would have stopped it if I challenged more. But I tried to be consistent with my game plan. And Benny was very good about it, helping me stay consistent with the game plan. Uh, but I, to your other point, like coming here, the biggest difference is the top players. There's a lot of players here. You see the same skill overseas, but it's the top of the top. That's where... And a few, every team has a couple of those guys that sticks out that you just, you think you can stop, or you think it's under control, but it's just so much harder because they're at another level. You, um, you mentioned evolving and, and like the stance getting narrower and, and more upright. You added some depth on breakaways, like you started to take ice and flow on those. As you change, because you have to as a goalie, right? The game is constantly changing around us. I think that's what I love about the position. There's, there's no one way, right? But was there a staple? Like, was there an anchor that maybe if things weren't going well or, you know, you want, if you were looking at your game from the outside, was there one staple that allowed you to sort of anchor yourself and sort of became your foundation or one or two things? Or did that change over time too? Well, I, I noticed, uh, we touched it earlier, just my stance. When I was more upright, I was more relaxed. I was reading the game. So sometimes when, you know, if you had a bad game, you start to compete too much. And so sometimes it was more about just taking a deep breath and, and take a step back and like relax and trust your your ability. And for me, after bad games, my, my thing was the next day I worked the hardest I could. And that way, build my confidence going into the next game. Because uh, a lot of times I had, you know, not great energy coming in the next day after a tough loss. And I felt like I could have done better. I, I try to use that energy and disappointment in that practice and just to build confidence. And a lot of times I end the practice with breakaways just to, you know, get that compete level of quickness in my feet. Um, yeah. So I would leave the ice with a good feeling for the next game. You've already touched on it a little bit, but I want it like, the phrase you used with me once was relaxed intensity. You're yeah. such a competitor and so fiery and you hated to lose. And yet, as you said, 
if you got too worked up in the crease, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to relax. Is there any advice you could give to young goalers, goalies that are struggling to find that balance? Because I think uh, I had a goalie coach say to me recently, tension is the enemy of goaltending. If we get too dug in, too tensed up in that intensity, we can lose the, lose the ability to sort of take that breath and be patient and be relaxed. How, do you, how did you find that balance? Is there any advice you can share with other young goalies listening right now? Well, I think that is the biggest challenge for any goalie to find that perfect balance mentally where you're on edge, but still relaxed. And I don't think it gets any easier. I mean, being 23 or 35 or you have more experience, but everything is changing constantly, the expectations and the pressure and how much pressure you're putting yourself. So um, what what I felt though, I always wanted to be on my toes when I played. So I couldn't be too relaxed. Then I was more flat-footed. I had to be on my toes. But at the same time, you know, breathing is good uh, just to get the pulse down. But I, I needed that intensity. That was kind of part of my game. But everybody's right. different. I have played with a lot of goalies. They talk before the game. That's their way of you know, getting in the right mindset because otherwise they're too tense. I was very quiet and I did my thing going into game. And I think that's also part of figuring out who you are. You have the style or the technique part, but then the mental aspect of it, you just need to figure out how you work and when you're at your best, how tense should I be? Like when you play your best, that's when you you should reflect on that. As much as you get feedback from bad games, because I feel like you get a lot of good information when you play bad. It's like, okay, I need to do this bad. When you play great, you just feel good, but just take a step back. Like, why am I feeling good? How intense was that? How did I prepare? And and you learn from that as well. But I definitely feel like I learn more from bad games than from good games. Did you like? Did you mark any of these things down throughout your career? We've talked to guys over the years that use journals or to sort of like you said, it's one thing to sort of take that step back and assess it, but sometimes you need to, some guys need to jot it down. Some guys need to see it in writing. They sort of build yeah. that archive. Is that something you did? I had a few few things that I kept reminding myself. And it was, I didn't want to complicate about a few words that, you know, it was about my stance. It was uh, my focus, like three, four things that I looked at once in a while and, and just a reminder. Because I knew it's been helping me so many times. So I try to be consistent with that. Those are the things I want to be focusing on and not the result or what I had to do. It was more just, okay, these things will help my game. Let's focus on that. And it will lead to good results. Any chance you can share those words or is you save that one for the book? <laughs> I try to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Been a couple of years now. Uh, uh, high, deep, compete. High would be the stance. Deep, play deep. Yeah. And then compete. Those I love three it. Three words were kind of key words for me when I played. Well, and everybody has reminders, right? Some guys, like I said, they'll journal them. We've seen guys write them down in their blocker, just as a reminder, have, have, in the cuff of their blocker every once in a while. Whatever grounds us, right? And you've talked about patience. Yeah, exactly. You've talked about patience. Um, 
stance was that stance key to you? Like again, not getting locked in too low and wide. Cause I think when we look at your game and the way you played, um, you know, most of the guys that play at that depth are, are like six, four, six, five. And yet you never played small despite not being six, four, six, five. And that, I looked at it and it felt like it was so much about patience. Were there other than stance? Yeah. How'd you develop it? Again, there's all these kids out there making notes as they listen to this. How do I play like Henrik Lundqvist? How did he stay so patient? Any tips? <laughs> Inside edge high? Well, like that, is that one of them? Yeah, I would say. And, and also, you know, after practice, we did a lot of half circle and you know, shooting. And I yeah. noticed when I stayed almost on the goal line, I found it almost easier to stop the shots. I had so much time to read the shot and react. If I was top of the crease, it felt a lot of times I got handcuffed on shots, you know, between the glove and your shoulder. It was hard to react to that. And also, when I was deeper, a lot of times they tried to beat me on the outside instead of through me or because there was more room outside if that makes any sense. But yeah. I remember a lot of times I was just standing very deep and, and that extra, you know, feet or sometimes two feet distance uh, makes a big difference in reaction time and both how, how to read the shot, but also before the puck even hits you. So just to feel that difference too in, in practice is good to know that, okay, I don't have to challenge because if I stay this deep, it's actually, I found it. A lot easier to to make the save, and the biggest thing is also playing the percentage. What if there's a rebound? How good will I be in the you know, play two or three here? I'll be right in front of the puck because when I play deep, the puck was almost always in front of me instead of to the side, or um, I, it was less scramble for me to get to that second play. Um, but also thinking about my style, like I grew up. I was kind of in between of the old style and new style. And now guys are so good to technically, but they, you know, the things they, I saw in the end of my career, a lot of things I I couldn't do that. It was just, I was not built for that or I just haven't spent enough time doing it. It would take too much time to change. So, you know, from bad angle come around the post, it was a lot of one knee down. I, I never, Unless it was a quick wrap around, I, I didn't go reverse VH'd or, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to stand up and wait for the shot. And as soon as they shot it, I went one leg down and, and then made, I felt like I had a better push across if they were going across instead of being down so, uh, so early. Um, but yeah, part of that was just because I couldn't do it <laughs> as good as the other guys. Well, I've got <laughs> 20, 20 years in, I've seen it from the beginning. I remember starting in 0304 and covering the NHL and, a, and you go to camps with 12 year olds and proper leg recovery is one of the first things they learned. And yet half the National Hockey League at that time, they got up off their strong leg, not the proper leg every time. So it's just, it is a constant evolution. What, one of the things that I was curious about, because you're, you talk about being in position to get to second and third chances. And yet you had so much speed in the crease. Um, at least it sure looked like it, Henrik. I, even there was a video when you were back in Sweden recently where you were showing some T-pushes and skating drills. And you look like you still had it, just flying around there from spot to spot. 
Where is it? <laughs> and, and I know Valley's talked about how much power you generate for a guy who's, you know, like you don't have running back NFL legs, right? And yet you have so much power and speed in there. I know you did tennis in the off season or any, any other, like, how'd you develop that? Is the skating just all about doing the movements and doing the crease movements that a lot of young goalies find boring? And is there any tips in terms of off ice training? Was tennis a good one for you? Do you think it helped fuel that, that element of your game? Yeah, I think I, I was definitely not a strong guy when it comes to leg strength, but I, I felt like it was a combination, I think, of, of uh, the angle of the skate and technique, maybe. Uh, but also, I had short movements. It's a lot harder to have that strong push if it's an extra feet, feet and a half, or two feet. Right. That's why if, if you play on top of the crease, to go across, you need a lot of power to come across. You need. To, I, I didn't have that. Like I, I was deep. So then, when there's short movements, it was a lot easier for me to have that strong push because it was a lot shorter. And then maybe uh, I don't know. When it comes to training, yeah, I did play tennis, but comparing myself to other goalies, you know, it was not that I was super strong or anything. I, I worked hard. I did that. Yeah. Uh, but I can't say I was more explosive than anybody else. I think it was more the distance of moving short. It looks and, fast. And being able to, yeah, maybe it looks faster than it is, but <laughs> you know, it, it was key for me. Everything in my game started with my feet. If I didn't, you know, had good feet movement, everything fell apart with everything from reacting on shots with my gloves. And um, so it was important for me to, you know, the skates were sharpened the, the way I, needed them to be and cast in new york he was so good you know he as soon as we found the right angle and sharp i didn't sharpen them for the longest time sometimes i just they were perfect sorry i said i have cast he was the next on my list so obviously i'm segueing this naturally because it's leading you into the answers um i wanted to ask about that relationship uh and how important it was to you like like did inside hedge high was that something that you developed did you did you use that in sweden having your skates like that and you know then the lundquist loop i mean you live on forever in the world of goalie equipment every manufacturer now (laughs) has a lundquist loop um how important was it to have a guy like casta i remember you guys coming into town and you were playing with the little cutouts at the top edge of your knee stacks and doing butterflies in the locker room after a practice and he's watching and you guys are talking. Like it just seemed like you guys were constantly looking to make sure that your gear was perfect for your game. Yeah, I think of course, as a goalie, it helps to have a trainer like, like Cass. He used to run his own shop and then he started working with, for the Rangers way back, uh, way before I got there. But he's so good at, at coming up with different solutions and, a lot of that that you're discussing it happened when I was on the bench. If I, if I didn't play a game, I was always sitting and watching my gear and was like, oh, I wonder if you tried this. I wonder how that would feel. And so a lot of times you come in the next day after, if I was sitting on the bench, Cass kind of knew, okay, what's, what's going on now? What, what do you want to talk about? And uh, But that started for me already in Sweden. I remember with the pads and developing. Back then I played with TPS and they had this flat, pad that came out uh, i don't remember the exact model but then i've worked on, on putting like a tube on the on the along the leg to make it softer but still keep the pad um thin yeah and then they develop developed that over time and 
Yeah, it's been so many things. We we switched the buckles to plastic to save some weight, and um, yeah, over time, there's been a lot of things that we worked on. That you know, it's funny when you start looking at old gear from my you know first couple of years in New York. They they're still at the training center, some of it, and it's like wow, it really changed over time. And there's so many things that you know Bauer and, and all these other brands now they they're so good at developing equipment. And it, it makes sense, all these changes, you know. I think for the longest time, it kind of looked the same, but then things started to happen. I think they put a lot more resources into making it better for the gear to make more sense for what we were doing. Well, I, do you remember the process of the loop? Because I, I went through like three years of photos from Getty Images. Yeah. And for the longest time, that that bootstrap i know why you took it off you've told us that before why you stopped tucking it underneath the bottom of your skate but for the longest time it just hung loose and then all of a sudden i think it was actually on a west coast road trip it looked like maybe from vancouver to calgary all of a sudden in calgary there's this loop on the back of your skate do you remember that going through that process yeah i do uh so the reason why i didn't want to take the strap uh, under the skate was just it made it a lot harder for me to be on my toes because it kind of pulled me back. I want that, especially on a breakaway situation or something. If I want to lean forward a lot and be on my toes. That restricted me from doing that. So that's why I started to hold that uh, strap behind my skate or behind my leg. But sometimes when I move, that that strap would get stuck in the skate or it just moved around too much. So we talked to Cass and it was like, what can we do here? So we, uh, we went over a couple of times uh, and then we made that loop. Uh, that's how it happened over time. Um, and then I felt way better because it was always in one place. It didn't move around as much. And now, like I said, now like there's all kinds of different variations, Henrik. Like one company has a metal one. It's it's fascinating to watch it. But like I said, forever and ever, there will be a Lundquist loop in hockey. Um, Bauer, <laughs> the innovation, um, was that just a perfect partnership? You talked about taking your gear apart and, and playing with it as far back as 10 years old, the relationship with Cass, a company that was looking to do things differently and innovate. what did you think when you first saw the Odin pad for the first time? Like There were a lot of people that had question marks, and yet you became a pioneer uh, for a style of equipment that now other brands are trying to copy in terms of active rebounds and faster sliding and all those attributes. Yeah, well, I have to say I was impressed with Bauer, you know, when I signed with them and, and the the resources and the, the attention they had to details. And, you know, I, I was one of their main guys there for a while. So uh, there was a lot of discussion, you know, every summer about the gear. And it was fun to be part of that process. And I remember trying that new pad over in Sweden one summer and I was blown away how light it was. And, and at first it was weird, you know, it felt like you was they didn't have any pads on and and then you know you could decide how stiff you wanted and for rebounds and also for the flex and, and different parts of the pad and i think the big thing for me was the balance to figure out that when you're down on the butterfly uh, uh that was a big thing when when the first set came out to make it a little stiffer on the inside with the knee how the knee connects to the actual pad to make to give the pad more stable feel yeah. Um, and now they've, yeah, 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 you know, now they've I enjoyed it there. Yeah. Right. With the, the knee stacks actually fixed to the pad, like it's solid now. They, they just exactly. kept innovating. Exactly. 
you like yep. being a part of that process. Uh, I got to ask you a last one. I'm on gear is, uh, and this one I never did get to ask you in your career. You were so good with us over the years when I'd annoy you in Vancouver with questions about your unique stick handle and all those things. But I never asked about the glove, the glove under the glove. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How come you wore the gloves under the glove? I got like ten people that wanted me to make sure I asked this question when we talked to you today. <laughs> So the first time I saw someone wear gloves underneath uh, was one of my other idols, Hukan uh, Algotson. So he was the he was the starter for Frolanda uh, back in you know late '90s, early 2000s. So I looked up to him, and uh, I was still a, a kid playing, and I saw him wear gloves. And, and when I moved to Gothenburg to play with Frolanda junior team at first. And then the pro team a couple of years later, I tried that and it just, I like my glove to, to, you know, sit on tight and, and don't move. Right. Uh, so what I did with those gloves, it just made, gave me better grip. And, and after a while, I also start to spray those gloves with like, like a glue spray. So it got a little sticky in there. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just liked it for the grip. Okay. Uh, and after a few years here yep. uh, in New York, we actually found gloves with more grip on the glove as well. So, so it developed you, over time as well. Was it a really thin, like almost like a latex glove or was it like a fabric and you could reuse it a whole bunch of times or was it like one and done? No, it was fabric. So they okay. went in the, in the laundry. I had like three, four sets for each game, switched after each period. Uh, to keep that dry tacky feeling? And, uh, yeah, and also that was nice. And even if the glove was a little wet or something, to put on a nice dry glove and, and put my hand in there with a little glue spray, it felt like it was just it was tight on my hand. Um, but yeah, it was funny. They, those guys, a bunch of guys, they had fun with that. It looked kind of, kind of like Mickey Mouse gloves, you know. Uh, <laughs> that were white ones for the longest time, and then we found a black model yeah. with with more grip on it that we switched to but yeah it was it was just for grip did you have it in the blocker too yeah okay we're on both sides i didn't realize that other one was that everyone asked me to ask about the practice glove which i think we've told that story but trying the way that glove presented was that something you tinkered with your maybe not your whole career but a large portion of it like having that one that presented wide open and then one later on that would close a little bit more and it felt like you never missed with that big wide open one. Like it was always right in the pocket. That's a skill. Yeah. I, I don't know when I realized that, that was the type of glove I wanted, but um, yeah, I definitely didn't feel comfortable with the glove that closed completely. And I had to focus on opening it. Right. This glove was always open. So it was more just get it in the way. And um and then over time, I started to use a little softer glove. Uh, there was a couple of years where it was so stiff, I couldn't close it at all. But then I started to change that a little bit. But that, I mean, the downside of that was it was hard to handle the puck. That was one of the reasons why I was not a good stick handler. It was just hard to, to grip the stick uh, with a stiff glove. Oh, you'd be playing shuffleboard out there for sure because you couldn't. You, you wouldn't yeah. Come, yeah, absolutely for sure. Um, hey, l l last one. How are you enjoying the transition? I know Valley keeps it uh, keeps it fun for you guys in there in the studio. Um, now that you're on yeah. the other side and you're looking at the game, looks easy for us in the media, right? It's real simple when you're up there watching from above. 
How are you enjoying it? What do you do? You see the game differently? Are you analyzing goaltending any differently? Looking at it from from this perspective, you seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, I have to say life's been very good. You know, I came back here in late August, and um, I knew right away I wanted to get going and do things and get back on my toes a little bit. I live almost twelve at least 10 months on my heels a little bit waiting for doctors to give me green light. And I just wanted to, you know, start doing things. So TV was definitely one thing, you know, work with fun people, great energy with Valley and John. And um, there's some other opportunities as well. And I have, a, you know, four or five different projects I'm, I'm working on and having fun. To me, it's, it's about just enjoying my time now and I do fun things and be surrounded with, great people with good energy and um it's been great you know i i miss i miss the game for sure i think i'll always miss the game but there's so many fun things happening and things i look forward to now that uh it's been a great transition and i think the biggest thing is the schedule just to be able to you know go away and do things travel and pick my spots where i want to do things and um for, for the longest time, as long as I remember, it's always been from August till May, June, you know, it's hockey and that schedule, that's it. There's nothing else. You do things in between here and there, but now I can really be my own boss when it comes to my schedule. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty sweet. And you get to, when, at least when you're on the MSG broadcast, a franchise that you've become synonymous with and, and clearly have a passion for. Um, so you get to sort of stay around that group a little bit. I got to ask, because from a distance, it's been incredible to watch. Um, we've just become, I think, and maybe this is Benny. Maybe this is because Benny's there. We've just, every time you watch the Rangers for the last, you know, well, now 17 years, it feels like you just expect to see excellence in goaltending from yourself for 15 years and now Igor. What do you see when you watch him? Uh, I mean, he, he's been so impressive to watch. I think he's, his consistency has been unbelievable. You know, his technique is very good. He's very relaxed. He's, you know, there's definitely parts of his game that reminds you know, myself a little bit with the high stance and leading shots really yeah. well. Patient. And I think a lot of it comes from his stance that he, you know, he doesn't go too low and that, that helps him just wait for every shot and read situations really well. But then his technique is, uh, in my mind, so much better than my technique. And he's, you know, more the new generation. And, um, yeah, he, he's been unbelievable this year. Really plays a huge part in the Rangers' success this season. I mean, the numbers doesn't lie. So, and he, he's just a calm guy. He's so calm. And, and I think, um, the team feeds off of that. You know, he makes big saves at the right time. He's, when he skates on his knees, it's like he skates on his knees better than most people skate on their skates. It's it's remarkable to watch. <laughs> I got to ask, though, yeah. I know you're biased. Can goalies win the Hart Trophy, though? Should goalies be able to win the Hart Trophy? Yeah, why not? Okay, there we go. Why not? I mean, it's... it's, it's um you have the goalie award, obviously, but then... If a goalie means part of the that team. much to a team, yeah, uh, I think so. All right. And, and then last one on this note, we also need to get goalie coaches in the Hall of Fame. 
unbelievably, there's never been one. I've been pushing for Benny's brother Frankie to be the first, but I think we should start start whispering in people's ear about Benny being being on that list as well, eh? Yeah, I feel like both of them have they have had such an impact on goaltending. If if you look at the development in that role for the last, you know, 20 to 30 years, they've had such a big part of that. It's incredible, you know, and 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 remember, not only with the, the, the top goalies they work with, but that has such a big effect on the rest because they're looking at these guys. And remember, you know, watching Patrick Raw or, or Sean Burke or I mean, these guys, Patrick or Roberto Longo, and they, they've they've done an incredible job with, with so many players. So they, yeah, they should get in. I agree with you. Let's let's start talking about it. <laughs> it's time. Well, I'm going to keep my push. I'm going to maybe ask you every once in a while to help us make a push because I agree, it is time. Uh, that's the next stop for you too, Henrik. I can't wait uh, to to follow along as, as your remarkable career continues to be celebrated. Um, thank you for taking so much time today. I'm sorry I took so much of it, but thank you for over the years, uh, whether it was an email uh, in the early years or just that annoying guy in Vancouver every time you came through town with all the questions. Uh, your patience on your skates and your patience with us uh, has always been sincerely appreciated. And I know our audience is going to love geeking out on goalie when they listen to this. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And it was always a pleasure talking to you out in Vancouver. I enjoyed our talks, equipment or the game. And so thank you for that. I listened to it twice. Uh, I could have uh, listened to it all day, but sleep uh, made me uh, turn my attention towards uh, getting up and getting ready for this uh, this podcast. Oh, well done! It was just a, an easy listening conversation. At first, I was I was like gushing over, like he's talking to Henrik Lundqvist, and after a while, it was just two guys talking gear. Well done, Woody. Thanks, and thanks to Henrik for making the time. Um, as busy as that guy is, like so much going on, and happy to see him finding things in retirement that are making him happy and a schedule that allows him to balance it with family. We talked a little bit about that off the air. You just, you know, just much like uh, when we're talking about big moments, right? Like one of them for me was the run to the 2014 Cup final. Um, as a journalist, you don't cheer for teams. You cheer for good people and good stories. And I so badly wanted it. Just like Luongo in 2011. Not about being here in Vancouver, being a Canucks guy. You just wanted Luongo to get his cup. I wanted Henrik to get his. And so um, you just, you, it's, it's kind of sad. All these guys that I've kind of grown up admiring in this role are now retiring. So I got to find a bunch of new guys to sort of cheer on in that role. I'm going to disagree with you on one thing. Most journalists don't cheer for stories and people. Most journalists in the Stanley Cup playoffs cheer for a sweep. That's that's just the plain old reality of it. Uh, (laughs) You know what? I've only I've covered I've covered only covered three runs all the way to the cup final. Um, Obviously, one with the Canucks and then a couple other ones where I was working for other outlets and other cities. And it's exhausting. So actually, you're right. By the time you get to the cup final as a reporter, you just want it to be over. Especially when you get to that two day break in, in between games so four and five or five and six, and just like, oh my goodness. Anyway, uh, woe is me. I'll, I'll move on. First I'll stop problems. whining and complaining. 
about exactly uh, about that. But uh, uh, that that Lundquist loop, Hutch. I must admit, I was totally wrong with what I anticipated the genesis of it being, and what the actual background and backstory is of it. Were you anywhere close? Well, no, I don't think either one of us were wrong because the only reason we thought what we thought is because we read what Woody wrote. Sounds like yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> so really, Woody's the one who was wrong, and you and I were just along for the ride as we saw. So you were just are. misled. You were just misled. Right, but, but right, like, right, right. I mean, when, when I've reported on in the past, I was caught off guard a little too by the answer because I had industry people that were, I think, part of the process at some level, you know, on the Bauer side of things and, and with the skates. You know, talk about and guys and actually teammates and stuff talk about, you know, the pads sitting higher and not being pulled down. But I always thought it was so they would slide up and close the five hole when he dropped as pads got shorter by league rule changes. And as he said there, it was more about feeling on his toes. Some great lessons in that interview, as much as we're geeking out on gear and stuff, some really great lessons on patience and the importance of stance and f- and feeling yeah. that. And and being on his, on the goal line and, and the being... Uh, firm in his belief and and comfortability of uh of being on that goal line it's wow uh that that that's impressive i also like the the glove under the glove and when he dropped mickey mouse uh, uh gloves uh, that, that that made me laugh so there's there's glue. i don't know, the, I didn't know five or six different glue. oh the sticky Stick the sticky Stick old school football yeah. style I yeah. had no idea that he did that all these years and all those, like I'd seen the gloves and I'd meant to ask about it through his whole career. But as you know, like we said, we asked about the stick one visit. We, like we're always asking, you, can, you can't ask every question every time he came to town or he'd never get to leave. I'm like as a prisoner in the locker room in Rogers Arena as I go through my laundry list of questions. I, and I finally got to ask it. I had no idea he put glue in there, that little stick. I'm, that's awesome. Imagine that, uh, the... Just a, a, a word of warning for people. If you're going to go down that path, make sure that that is in a sealed bag, that can of stick'em, uh, stick'em spray. Because if that ever, uh, like uh, on the bus and it gets banged up against something and or in the trunk and it starts spraying around on, on all your gear, just if you're going to go down the path, put that in some kind of sealed bag. Uh, when you put it away. Don't forget what he mentioned was that later on they found gloves that were a little bit sticky and you can go into just about any sporting good place these days, including the hockey shop, I think, and find gloves now that have that sort of very tacky, rubbery piece built into them because I think football outlawed stick them and so all the materials guys did was invent something new that did the same thing without being sprayed onto your gloves. So much cleaner, Mm -hmm. much better way to do it. And the hockey shop with the uh, lizard skin, it's got a little texture and a little sort of that, yep. that's like a little grippy feel to it as well. So, yeah, because I'm not uh, sure we, hockey uh, parents want us to encourage kids to spray glue inside their gloves. No, because no. it doesn't work well. Oof. One of my favorite things, though, with kids trying stuff, I th- I've probably told this on here before. I'm not sure, but uh, was going to a goalie school when we were in the early days of in goal and seeing a kid skate on with a Lundquist loop on his skates before they were commercially available. I said, what, what are you doing there? Oh, I just sewed it on there. Where'd you learn about it? In Goal Magazine. So it was sort of a, a cool Henrik Lundquist, but I got to admit it was a little bit of an ego boost to hear that there's kids out there actually reading and learning <laughs> from us. Uh, I did it first with, uh, with um, just lace. I had made a little loop on the back of my skate and, and created my own Lundquist loop at the, at the very start. Um, 
it and it worked just as well. And but I was nowhere close to being uh, on on point with the with the the background and the inspiration for the lung Lundquist loop. But th- like, think about that. Like, it's kind of like it's a funny little story in our goalie world, right? But like, that's for yeah. that's forever. Like, yeah, he's, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and that's forever too. And he's going to be the greatest Ranger goal. Like, that's forever too. But like, he changed. I was going to say the face, but the heel, he changed goaltending equipment. Like, and like how many guys don't yeah. even wear a bootstrap now? And yeah, he kept the bootstrap. And, but like, I don't know that guys go to the next step of taking the bootstrap off completely if he doesn't make that first change. And like, every manufacturer has a Lundquist loop, right? Like, he sort of, you know, he was the innovator. And if you think about when that started, like, like that was, a, you know, that was a long time ago. So it's just, I don't know. I just, I just find those parts of his story, the role he played in Bauer. Bauer's talked to us about this. The original Odin concept car experiment idea was to find a foam that killed rebounds. And when they didn't and the rebounds were active instead, Henrik was the guy in the testing stages that said, this is awesome. Keep going this way. So I just, I just love that he was that in tune with things to, that he had that big an impact on the game with the way he changed things. Awesome stuff. Okay, some housekeeping. Uh, what's going on over at uh, the website? Hutch. Uh, lots, as always. Uh, put out our most recent email newsletter yesterday that sort of summed up the last week and a couple of things that uh, are really worth seeing. Of course, the wrap-up of the Ian Clark, Thatcher Demko hand-in-support uh, drill progression. There's three more videos with Thatcher Demko uh, including one with Ian Clark sort of voicing over and talking us through the key points of the drill. Um, that's been an incredible series that Woody put together. Uh, three of them there that you can follow along and you know learn how to add an element of sort of calculation to your desperation, I guess you could put it. Putting some technique into a desperate situation to give yourself a better opportunity to make the save instead of just going all full road hockey. A uh, great series that Woody put together. Great opportunity for members to learn. Uh, a few other things. Um, Pete Fry, as as always, uh, has come to us with a mindset article this week. And uh, Pete has a great program, the Goalie Mindset Power Program, that you can see a link to on all our articles with him. Uh, even if you're not a member, that link is available. You can learn how to work with Pete, as so many goaltenders right up to the pro ranks do. I love this one um, because it's talking about something that's really common for all of us that we we sort of acknowledge you need to know how to respond to situations, whether it's in-game or in-career. And uh, we just talk about being calm and neutral and so on. But Pete's such a positive, strong guy. Keep your power is the title of the article. And you have power. Can you maintain that power in your attitude, in your response to difficult situations? And uh, yeah, just love that one and encourage people to check out all of Pete's stuff. And uh, Ryan Miller, one of the best uh, pro reads guys we've ever had, a guy who looks at the game in a different way, uh, something I always appreciate, um, looks at a situation and realizes he's got an opportunity to cheat a little bit, I guess you would say, lean one way a little bit, and it allows him to make a a rather difficult save on a two-on-one as a result. And he talks through some of those cues, how he sees what's happening and why he does what he does, and and well worth taking a look at. And... uh, you know, a lot of great stuff over there. Obviously, we're we're now sitting at about 550 pieces of unique content for in-goal members, about 115 pro reads. So many great things you can uh, check out over at InGoal if you become an annual member, which we would encourage everybody to do. 
And we didn't get into the stick. We talked about it, but we didn't get into it with Henrik in terms of that unique squared off top of his stick. But of course, that article exists at ingoldmag.com. If you're an annual subscriber, you can just search it. Use the search bar up in the top, Henrik Lundqvist stick, and you will come up with an article that you know ties to how you can create your own Henrik Lundqvist paddle and how that helps with blocker in hand position. Uh, an article that we started with Henrik and then had some input from a local coach, Sean Murray. So um, as Hutch said, the the archives are deep. There are tons of stories there. If you're not a subscriber yet, check it out. That annual subscription will get you access to the full archives. I'm pretty sure we could keep you reading every day, all day for several months and not run out of something new to learn. I'm going to hop over and, and read that article because I'm really curious to see how it does change the the hand position with with the blocker. and and how it helps or what he wanted to accomplish with that. Uh, but uh, I just want, got distracted there for a second because I wanted to make sure that, uh, that my recorder was red, which means it's recording and we've done uh, what we set out to do today. Uh, a backstory and the the tie-in from last week's episode. If, if the guy sounded a little hollower than usual, uh, it's just they got so excited, Woody and Hutch, uh, by being in the same room as we recorded last week's In Goal Radio, the podcast, that when we were done recording an hour plus worth of uh, content, they forgot to hit record. I So what you heard was the computer audio, not the actual uh, yeah. mic audio. We, we do I'm, this together on Zoom, as so many people have learned to do in the pandemic, and Zoom records everything for us. But uh, we tend to keep something a little higher quality around our own offices. But because Woody and I were hanging out together quite unexpectedly last week, uh, we got out of routine. And that routine is so important to make sure that you don't make any mistakes. And we made a mistake and we did not hit that big glaring red button. I think Hutch just got, <laughs> ex- I think Hutch just got excited because I talked about doing the next episode in the hot tub. And yes. I, I threw him for a total loop. Uh, mortified more than excited, Woody. You guys realize if you would have done it in the hot tub, you would have been all over it because you would have been checking the levels and making sure water wasn't getting on the recorder or anything. But uh, but instead, uh, you were too comfortable. So I think it should be uh, out in the elements from now on when you guys are together. Perish the thought. <laughs> the, the, the sad part is we are two for two now, not hitting record when we do something, the two of us in person. There is an interview with an NHL goalie coach Great. that was One fantastic. That will never see the light of day because it was not recorded and we ran out of time to start again. So um, you'd think, you know, like one's bitten twice shy, but evidently neither one of us are bright enough to figure it out. So the rule now is we just can't be together when we record. I'll give you credit. Big game today. You guys hit record. You came up large. You stepped up uh, when it mattered. So uh, congratulations on that. And, uh, and yeah, uh, put that one on the mantle, that interview uh, with Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, very cool. Uh, congratulations on that, Woody. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And uh, we can't wait to talk to you next week to see what's in store in the wide world of goaltending on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. <laughs>